Amen. What a question to ponder this morning or this afternoon. Why should I gain from his reward? Reality is we have all, if you've trusted in Jesus, you have gained from the reward of Jesus Christ because the flip side of it is what we deserve is eternal punishment. But what you got is actually grace. You've gained from the reward of Jesus Christ. And that is why we gather here on Sunday mornings, afternoons. We gather here to worship the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Here's what David said in Psalms 122. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And I'm excited to be able to gather with God's people today. Equally excited to be able to dig into the word of God today. Uh, Speaking of digging into the word of God, why don't you grab your Bibles, your devices, Whatever contains the word of God, if you could meet me in 1 Peter chapter 5. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 5. Thank God for Pastor Larry preaching last week. Amen. Can we thank God? What a sound and an on-time word. Uh, I've been chewing on Genesis 32, what he preached last week. Just, you know, the idea of making room for the presence of God. And uni- Then, I, you know, this week I realized how cluttered my life is and how, how much the cross is cluttered because of all of the things that I think. And they're good things, right? right? Everything you have going on in your life is not like the cross is cluttered with bad things. It's school and it's work and it's you know, whatever you're progressing in life, whatever it is that's on your plate, we put those things in front of the cross. And last week was a great reminder to just kind of declutter. Um, so I'm grateful for him. But we are back in First Peter today. And not only are we back in First Peter, but we are finishing the book of First Peter today. Y'all see how, Lame- how happy Lamique is, right? She's like, we've been in it for two years. It's about time. But I'm excited to be able to finish uh, the book of First Peter today. Uh, we have been, those of you who are visitors or uh, you, you're, you're not really familiar with our church, we go through books of the Bible and we literally go through line by line uh, of every single word that's in the book, of every single verse that's in the book. And so we are finishing or really landing the plane of our time in First Peter this uh, for the last, we started in, I think, February, either January, end of January or February we started. So I'm excited to be able to end today. Uh, let me kind of give you guys direction of where we are going as a church for the next several months. Uh, we are finishing the book of First Peter today. For the rest of November, we'll be in what you call standalone sermons, which are not connected to any topic or not connected to a book series. We'll just be on some different topics for the rest of the month. And then uh, starting in December, we'll go through our annual Advent series, which we will focus in on the birth of Jesus Christ. One of the things that happens with Christmas is, you know, talking about cluttering the cross, we tend to clutter what the meaning of Christmas is by focusing on Santa Claus and cookies and uh, Christmas music. I'm not hating. I'm I'm not an Ebenezer Scrooge. I'm, I'm all in with the Christmas spirit. I'm just saying I know what Christmas is about, and it is about why did Jesus Christ have to put on flesh to dwell amongst us? And we need to figure that out. We need to talk about that. So we will do that for the entire month of December in a series we're calling Advent Series. My eyes have seen your salvation is what we're going to be talking about. And then that'll take us into January, which we'll do some more standalones and we'll do our annual Vision Sunday. So every year in January, we try to focus on what we call Vision Sunday and really point our eyes towards what does, uh, you know, what does 2018 look like for our church. This year, I really want to go back a little bit and talk about some areas we did well in 2017 and some things we missed 
in 2017. And then I'll push us forward uh, in, on Vision Sunday with some, some hopes that we would focus on some specific areas. And then that'll take us into, uh, that'll take us into February, which is Black History Month. And we want to do a, a series, a four-week series called Ethnicity Embraced. And as we're talking, you know, as it is Black History Month, we want to focus on how God has uniquely and, 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 uh, and, and carefully and wonderfully made every single person that is in this room. So Psalms 139 says, I was fearfully and wonderfully made. And so whatever ethnicity you are, whatever cultural background you have, we want to celebrate it because at the cross, the Bible tells us one day in Revelations, there'll be every tribe and every tongue and every nation sitting around the throne of our King Jesus. And so we might as well celebrate it now. And we have a unique opportunity here. And the reason we have a unique opportunity is because we sit as a very diverse church and so we want to celebrate and, and try to figure out, and there'll be some uncomfortableness uh, within the series, but that's good for us. Amen? Amen? So we'll wrestle through that, and then that'll take us into our next book, and I promise we'll be there for many, many months. We're going to go through the book of Habakkuk, uh, and I know some of you are like, I've never read that book. <laughs> I've not, I don't even know. I didn't even know that was a book. I have never read a verse in that book, but... I can promise you that the book of Habakkuk is a very, 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 very powerful book. Uh, the prophet Habakkuk was unique. Uh, he was very different than the rest of the prophets in that you really don't see him prophesying. You don't see him speaking to God's people. You see him speaking to God. And in his conversation with God, which is really the whole book, a conversation back and forth, he's talking about like, like Lord, why, why are you letting the wicked prosper? Those are questions we all ask, right? You ever see somebody prospering that they don't know Jesus? You're like, how come they get to prosper and I know Jesus and I'm trying to be faithful and I'm not prospering? Well, Habakkuk is going to deal with that. And he talks about perverting justice, which is very prevalent in our times, especially here in America. So we're going to really deal with that and zoom in for a few months. And so I hope you guys are excited about our time in the word, uh, in, in the pulpit, and all of it will be central on Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, pick me up in verse number six, 1 Peter chapter five, eager to preach. So let me just jump right in. Verse six, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Please underline this next scripture, casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Verse 10. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will himself, listen to this, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Verse 11. To him be dominion forever and ever. Now, he's going to list out, if you could just keep your finger in verse 12 and look up for a second, he's going to list out a bunch of names. We don't have time today to go through each person, uh, but I, I encourage you guys to do that as a little study. Read each name that is mentioned. Sylvanus is mentioned. Uh, Mark is mentioned. I want you guys to, to, to go away and really just like focus in on those guys. They are not writers of 1 Peter. Peter wrote 1 Peter. Uh, but Sylvanus being mentioned is really Sylvanus Talking about him being a faithful brother means he was the one that carried the letter around to the dispersed Christians. And so really do a study on what these names mean. They're like they're not in here. You know, you remember you used to watch those uh, 
black market DVDs back in the day. I don't know. I know y'all don't do that no more. But back in the day, you used to get them CDs. You know, somebody sit in the movie theater and they and they video. And you know, it'd be the. I mean, the quality was horrible. But we would sit through it. And at the end of the movie, you know how a dude that's doing the video would jump up and be like, "Yo, I want to give a shout out to my homies." Da, 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 da. That's what Peter's doing right here. He's giving a shout out to the homies. Verse number twelve. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him. I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is, I love these, these next two words, the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. I want to preach today from the topic entitled Final Thoughts. These are Peter's final thoughts, and so that's what we'll, we'll focus in on, final thoughts. Let's pray. Father, as we attempt to engage in your word, we do so realizing that we desperately need you. We do not stand here in this room today thinking that we can understand your word without the Holy Spirit. So, Father, would you speak to us today? The Holy Spirit hover upon this room as you hovered upon the water. And I pray that the word of God today would be applied, would be understood and then applied so that we could be faithful to what it is that you are telling us. May Jesus Christ be focused on today. It's in vain for us to gather around today and just read the text. It would be a historical information, but it does not have power. Jesus Christ is not the key. So, Father, as you've exalted Christ throughout all of, the, all of Scripture, would you make sure today that he is exalted in our time? So give us, give us your grace, give us your mercy, and give us strength today as we declare your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. During the freshman year, my freshman year of high school, I ran track, and the only I hated it. But the only reason I ran track is because the coach, my football coach, said it would indu- it would it would help your speed in on the football field. So you should run. So I said, all right, I'm gonna do it. So I ran track, and the events that I ran was the 400, which is one time around the track, and then I ran the 200, and then I ran something called the relay race. Anybody familiar with the relay race? So the relay race is interesting race. It's an interesting event because one person by himself can't complete the event. He runs 100 yards and he passes the baton to somebody else and he runs 100 yards and he passes the baton and he does it at least four times until you get to the last person. And so when I was on this track team, the coach said, listen, I'm going to put you on the relay, but we have to test your times because the fastest person on the team is going to run anchor. So I didn't know what he meant. And he began to explain to me how the last person on the team, or as he would call the last leg of the race, has to be the most Uh, the fiercest competitor and the fastest person on the team. The reason it has to be the fastest person is because the last leg is supposed to at least catch up if they're behind or he's supposed to finish strong. In our text this morning or this afternoon, Peter really is running the last leg of this race. He is finishing strong. And when he finishes strong, he does not do so with weak thoughts. Sometimes we can read the ending or a conclusion of a book and just, you know, just dismiss it because all of them almost end similarly. So we're like, he's just giving out some names and some last minute thoughts. But I want to encourage you this morning, this afternoon, that Peter's last thoughts to us are important for us. He's running the last leg and he really gives us four thoughts. Really five, but we don't have a lot of time to deal with suffering. We dealt with it over the last several weeks throughout this letter. What Peter does in our text is he gives us four thoughts. One of them is humility. So he's going to talk to us about what it means to be humble. 
And the second one he gives us is on anxiety, which can I just say all of us in this room deal with anxiety? I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord. I don't care how great your devotional life is. All of us in this room either have dealt with anxiety, currently dealing with anxiety, or you will be dealing with it soon. All of us in this room. And so he's going to deal with it. Humility. He's going to deal with anxiety. Then he's going to deal with the devil, which we need to talk about in our text. He's going to talk about what the devil is doing. And then lastly, he's going to secure us and anchor us in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So those four thoughts, it would behoove us to work through each one of those in the short amount of time we have together this afternoon. First, humility. Let's look at it. It's in verse six. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Let me lift up the first two words of verse number six. Humble yourselves. This is a thought that he is running from the preceding verses. Last week, Pastor Larry preached, but two weeks before that, we talked about verse number five. In verse number five, he mentioned humility at least twice. Let me read it. Verse number five, which we went over a couple weeks ago, says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility. There it is. Toward one another. For God opposes the proud and gives grace. Here it is. To the humble. And then he says in verse 6, humble yourselves. Yes, we broke it up because of weeks, but Peter would have had a flowing thought here. And so this morning, the first thing he deals with as he's ending this letter is he pushes to us the idea of humility. The reason he's pushing it is because during this ancient time, people would have had a sense of pride. In fact, humility went against what you, I mean, that's not the norm during ancient Greco-Roman era. It was a kill or be killed type of culture. And so humility wasn't a virtue that you often sought after. But can I push to you this morning or this afternoon, Epiphany Church, let's pursue humility in the church. Peter is pushing that to us today. He's saying be humble, but humility, the virtue of humility is not like any other virtue. Humility is not like patience. Like you can objectively look at your life and see how you're doing with patience. You can say I'm either doing well with patience or I'm not. You can look at other things like charity. You can say, man, am I, being, am I being giving? Am I a generous person or am I stingy? You can objectively look at your life and see if you're charitable or the virtue of kindness. You can look at your life and see if you're being kind. Humility is different. The reason humility is different is because the moment you think you're humble, you're not humble. Does that make sense? Like nobody can walk around and say, I'm humble and be humble. The moment you think you have it is the moment you've lost it. One of the most famous prayers by a guy named Dwight L. Moody, he prayed this prayer. And in his prayer, he said, Lord, make me humble, but don't let me know it. Because the moment you know it is the moment. You, like, can you think of that person that's like, listen, I'm humble. You're now prideful because you said I'm humble. And so the text tells us this morning, listen, be humble. The best way to know, because I know you're like, well, pastor, how am I supposed to find out if I'm humble? If I'm not, can, I can't like pinpoint it. How am I supposed to know? The best way to know is to get people around you, not to push you in your humility, but to push you against your pride. You need people in your life that know you, that don't care nothing about your attitude, that will tell you you are prideful. You are arrogant. 
Earlier this week, I was talking to my pastor on the phone, and we were just talking about a bunch of different things. And, you know, every now and then, he, he comes across like Yoda. He'll slip something in and keep the conversation going out. And I, it hits me later. But we were just talking about random stuff. And he said, how are you doing with humility and pride? Just out of nowhere. You need people in your life that will call you out when they see it. And that pushes humility. So in the text today, Peter says, be humble. Now, I know, you know, this this culture we live in now, you know, we're like, well, I don't trust Peter. Well, how about we trust the theologian Kendrick Lamar when he said, be humble. See, y'all be listening too much Kendrick up in here. He said, be humble and sit down. But it's funny, you know, we'll trust Kendrick, but we won't trust Peter this morning. But Peter says the exact same thing, but he says it this way. Humble yourselves. He doesn't just say humble yourselves, but he says humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And really what he's doing in this verse by saying humble yourselves on the mighty hand of God and then going on and saying so that in the proper time he may exalt you. What he's doing is he's quoting, really quoting his savior, which is crazy because all throughout this letter, we have rejoiced in the fact that Peter was so faithful to quote the Old Testament. At least six times, the seventh he probably referenced wasn't a quote. But in this letter, he quoted the Old Testament. Remember, he quoted Leviticus 11. He quoted Psalms 34 twice. He quoted Proverbs. Like he was faithful to going back into the Old Testament. But this morning, he doesn't quote the Old Testament. He quotes his Savior. And it would behoove us to look at what our Savior says. Let me put Bible there. Matthew chapter 23, verse 12 says, whoever exalts himself, this is Jesus, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus also said in Luke chapter 18, verse 14, very similar words. I tell you, this man went down to the house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. There is no reason for us to doubt that Peter is now referencing and pulling from his Savior's teachings, which is good for us. And now he pulls it out and says, listen, you got to be Humble. So the first thing he pushes is humility. If you're taking notes, you would have noted the second one that he pushes is anxiety. Look back in our text this morning. Verse six, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Verse seven, casting all your anxieties. Notice plural, not anxiety. Anxieties on him because he cares for you. It's important to note that this is written in an imperative form, meaning Peter is giving us a command. This is not a suggestion. He's not saying it's a good idea for you to cast your cares on the Lord. He's not saying, you know, it's a, you, know you should do this. It's a, no, he's saying it's a command. He's saying, in fact, NASB says, cast all your cares. So all of us in this room should be proactively taking our anxieties and casting them on to the Lord. And like I said, all of us in this room have that. Now, he's writing to a persecuted people. He's writing to a people that are suffering. In fact, the emperor Nero is, he has his thumb on them, on Christians. And so he knows that they're full of anxiety, but he's not telling them like dismiss your feelings. He's saying, take your feelings and submit them to the Lord. I never give homework on a Sunday morning. I never walk out and say, man, this is what you, I think you should do. But I'm going to challenge each person in this room to think of all of your anxieties, whatever area of your life brings you anxiety, and write it down. So I don't know if you journal. I don't know if you put notes in your phone. I don't know how your devotional time looks, but wherever you write your thoughts, write down 
everything that brings you anxiety. So whether it's a relationship, whether it's work, whether it's finances, whether it's school, whatever brings you anxiety, write it down. And at the end of that paper, I want you to write Philippians chapter four, verse six and commit it to memory. Here's what Philippians chapter four, verse number six says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Here's how you submit it to the Lord by prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God does not want his children to be anxious. God does not want his children to be perturbed. He does not want you to be troubled. He wants you to take that anxiety and give it to God. And you know why God's a safe place to take it? Because the text says, because he cares for you. You know how many of us doubt that the Lord cares? Like, the Lord, I don't want to take my anxiety to you because you don't even know what I'm going through. But the text tells us today that he does. Not only does he know, but he cares. Psalm chapter 8, verse number 4 says something similar. It says, whatever man, well, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you, here it is, care for him. God cares for you. What you are dealing with, the trouble, the anxiety, God actually does care for it. So the text tells us that today, that he doesn't want you to be worried. What he's really saying, when you're taking your, your problems and taking them to the Lord, you're exemplifying trust in God. And most of us struggle with trusting God. We struggle that he has our best interest at heart. We do. But Jeremiah 17, 7, what does it say? Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. You need to commit these to your heart. The reason you need to commit them to your heart is because we so are prone to doubt. But in reality, the text tells us this morning, take that care, that anxiety, and cast it upon God. So he told us, listen, be humble. As Kendrick Lamar says, and sit down. <laughs> verse number two, in verse uh, number seven, he then says, take your anxieties, your, your anxiousness, and give it to the Lord. But the third thing he deals with is the devil. It's right in the text. I think the order is so funny. Verse number seven, casting all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Verse number eight. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion. Notice this, seeking someone he may devour. Please circle that word devour because you know what we do? We think that the devil, he doesn't want to devour us. He just wants to hurt us. No, he doesn't want to hurt you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to kill you. We play around with the devil like he's not that big of a deal. Nah, he is. So be sober-minded, be watchful. Because your adversary, the devil, there's a, there's a scripture in the Old Testament that says he desires to sift you as men sift wheat. Like, consider what that means. He doesn't, like, stop playing games with the devil. But here's what's funny about the text. Peter just got us to relax in verse 7. Like, in the text, Peter's like, take all your anxieties, give them to the Lord, you know, don't be anxious. And then in verse 8, he says, but be watchful. Be sober-minded because the devil is after you. Like, that ain't making your boy feel calm. When I'm reading verse 7, I'm starting to get calm. I get to verse 8, I'm anxious again. But the text tells us what he's really pushing to us this morning or this afternoon. Here's what I'm going to get this together at some point this afternoon. What he's really pushing towards us is, yes, don't be anxious. But verse 8, don't be careless either. He's saying, yes, don't be anxious, but no don't, be, don't put your guard down. 
be on watch. As millennials say, stay woke. That is what we need to be doing in the text because there is a devil. Now, what we do with the devil is we go to one or two extremes. There's one or two extremes that we go to when it comes to the devil. One extreme is we see the devil behind every bush. Everything is the devil. I had a coworker, man. I kid you not, man. She, everything. Like, she would come to work with a cold and be like, oh, the devil's in my... I'm like, you just got some, you know, you just got some, some a virus. Go home and rest. You know, get some vitamin C. No, but it was the devil for her, right? Or, or you know, she, she would always complain about health issues, but, you know, she'd walk around with a plate of macaroni and cheese and cookies and cake, and I'm like, well, maybe it's your diet. You know, maybe it's not the devil. We blame the devil for everything. She was on a final written warning. I kid you not, she would come to work late almost every week. But she would complain, I think the devil's about to make me lose my job. I'm like, you're probably losing your job because you're late. Everything can't be the devil. You cannot blame the devil if you're playing solitaire on company time. You can't. It might just be you. But what we do is we blame the devil because we don't like to, we don't like to hold on to our own dysfunction. So we like to shift blame it. No, it's the devil. No, it's you. It's you. So everything isn't the devil. Everything can't be the devil. I know the devil be sitting back like, Dad, you just blaming me for everything. Like, I got to take credit for that too. <laughs> Reality is everything's not the devil. Or we go to the other extreme. We ignore him altogether. So either it's too much, too much, or it's nothing at all. But here's the reality. Spiritual warfare is real. Do not sleep just as real as Jesus is. The devil is also real. But we try to ignore him like he's not real. And here's how, here's how the devil usually shows up. He usually shows up in your entertainment. So whatever entertainment, this is why I'm careful of what shows I watch. You know, I used to watch Scandal, and you know, I had to stop watching Scandal. And the reason is, is because I found myself rooting for the mistress. I'm like, Fitz and Olivia just need to get together. And I'm like, wait, he's married. You got to be careful of what you call entertainment, because it's through entertainment that the devil usually schemes and gets in. That's why you got to be careful of who you befriend on Facebook. You got to be careful of your time, your leisure time. I'm just scrolling through. You got to be careful of those moments because those are the moments that the enemy usually gets in. You got to be careful of your conversations. Like every conversation ain't funny. Some stuff, if you're in a conversation and the conversation is just perverted, that's not funny. We have to be careful. Why? Because the, Peter says, be watchful. Be mindful, be sober-minded. Why? Because there is an enemy and he is after you. Again, not to mangle over you, but to destroy you. So we got to be careful of our leisure moments. And so both of these are real. Peter points to us that there is a devil. Now here's the question I've always asked myself. And I'd love for you to take this journey with me. I've always asked myself, why in the world didn't God just kill Satan in the garden? I've often asked myself that because, you know, the scripture that says, you know, don't fall into temptation. I'm like, all right, that's cool. But I wouldn't fall into temptation if you took the tempter out. Why didn't you just kill him? And let's be real. Let's not get it twisted. God could have killed him. I saw this thing on my on my CNN, uh, my CNN app. It was a picture of 
uh, Jesus wrestling the, it was supposed to be Jesus, is Jesus rest, arm wrestling uh, the, the enemy, Satan. And they're both arm wrestling. And really what the picture was trying to depict was that they had this dual power. But let's not get it twisted. The enemy does not have the same power that Jesus has, which is why you see Jesus walk up in the synagogue and there's a, there's a man that's possessed. And when Jesus walks in, the demon speaks to Jesus. And he says, we know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth. And then the, the, this is what the demon says. Have you come to destroy us? The enemy knows that he don't have the same power, but we push this horrible theology called dualism. Like they both are, have the same matching power they don't. The question is not, do they have the same power? The question is, why didn't Christ kill him in the garden? For some reason, I've always asked myself that question until two weeks ago when I realized I was going through a devotional in Luke chapter 13. And in this devotional I was going through, it was talking about um, this woman, this story about this woman that had a disabling spirit. Bible says she had a disabling spirit for 18 years. The Bible says the disabled spirit had her bent over so she couldn't stand up straight. Jesus comes on the scene after 18 years of being bent over, heals her. The Bible says in verse 13 of Luke 13 that after he heals her, she glorifies God. But if you keep reading, verse 16 says the disabling spirit for 18 years was because of Satan. So here's, here's how I reconcile this. God got more glory out of Satan being alive than he would have if he shot him in the head at the garden. So we don't understand it. Here's what I know. You will wrestle with the enemy of your soul until Jesus comes back. But here's where you rejoice. The enemy will be crushed at one point. He will. He'll, he'll bruise your heel, but I'm going to crush his head. So the enemy will. But until Jesus comes back, Peter says, be watchful. And be mindful. Why? Because there is an enemy out there. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says this. Do, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers, against present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Do not sleep. There is an enemy out there. Peter says, listen, be humble. Don't be anxious. Be mindful. There is a devil out there. And you have to be mindful and careful of the devil. Let's keep going. Where am I at? Verse, uh, let's do verse nine. <clears throat> he's talked about so far anxiety, I mean, humility, anxiety, the devil. The last one he's going to root us in is the gospel. What a, grace, what a great place to end this book. Verse number nine, resist, resist him. Notice this phrase because he's going to use it again. Firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to, the, to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 12, by Sylvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and declaring that this is, please notice these two words, true grace. Many commentators have suggest, suggested that Peter saying true grace is really shorthand for the gospel. But can we all agree that if the text is applying, implying that there is true grace, it is also implying that there is a false one. So in other words, yes, there is, a, there is the gospel, but there also is 
a false gospel. I told you guys before, anytime you put a word before the gospel or after the gospel, it's no longer the gospel. Like you don't dilute it. No, you, it's null and void. So if you say the prosperity gospel, that's not the gospel. You say the gospel of inclusion, that is not the gospel. You say the social gospel, that is not the gospel. That is what the text would say, a false gospel. But the text presents to us that we need to root ourselves in the true gospel. Notice he said in the text twice, firm in your faith. And the second time he says, he says, he says, declaring this, the true grace, the gospel of God, stand firm in it. Stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel, Pastor? You, I mean, we talk about it every single week. What is the gospel? And the reason we talk about it every week is because we're so prone when we get out in the world to drift to a different gospel. I don't care how saved you are. Your heart is prone to wander. Wander into different areas. But Peter is saying, stand firm in the true grace. Stand firm in the true gospel. And the only way to know the true gospel is to put it against the fake gospel. When I was younger, I was in high school, true religion jeans just started coming out. Anybody remember true religion jeans? They started to come out, and I, my mother, I begged her to buy me a pair, so she bought me. Those things were expensive, they bought, which is crazy, because now my son asks for Jordans. I'd be like, that's too much for me. I can't, I can't afford it. But I was asking my mother for true religion jeans in high school, and she bought me the true religion jeans, and I liked them, but I was like, ah, they were dark. I wanted a, you know, acid, acid wash. I wanted some, you know, lighter true religion jeans. And so my friends started telling me about, you know, a spot that sold them cheaper. I, I lived, I grew up in Jersey, telling me a spot that sold true religion jeans cheaper. He said, you got to go to Canal Street. Now, I didn't know. I was naive. I was thinking that Canal Street was like a legit, you know, you get some true religions on a discount. Until I got to Canal Street. Some of y'all already know where I'm going. I got to Canal Street and it felt like a drug deal. This dude walked up to me. He was like, yo, I got the true religions. I got the, I'm like, okay, let's, let's see what you got. Man, they were half price of what I paid for my other true religions. So he pulls out a book. I'm like, man, let's go to the store. He's like, no, 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 no store. That's not how it works. He pulls out a book. He pulls out a book and he flips through the book and says, which true religion? All these pictures, which ones you want? So I found the ones I want. He's like, give me the money. Don't ever do that, by the way. I slipped him the money. Felt like a drug deal. He went down the street to some van, and he gets in the van. He comes back out with the, with the, true, with the, drink, with the jeans, and he gives them to me. And then I, he was like, man, don't open them here. So I knew it was shady. Don't open those jeans here. Go around the corner and open the jeans. So I said, man, it's okay. He gave me the, 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 the bag. I didn't open it until I got home. When I got home, I laid them out, and I was looking at the stitching. I was like, these don't look like true religion jeans. And so I went in the closet and I got my other true religions and I put them down and I put them next to the, the fake religion jeans and I quickly realized that they weren't real. What helped me to figure out if they were real or not? I was acquainted with what was real. I put them against, and that's how you figure out fake money too. When people want to spot fake money, they get acquainted with real money. When you want to spot the false gospel, you got to get acquainted with the real gospel, which is why we faithfully sing about the gospel, which is why we faithfully preach the gospel. We do that because there is so much false gospel outside of here. We need to anchor ourselves in what's real. And so we do it every weekend. You know, I'm a one trick pony. I'm not even creative in how I present it. I say the same thing every week because we are so prone to forget it. Pastor, what is the gospel? You keep talking. What is the gospel? Here's the gospel, that there is a God 
that created everything. And that God, the Bible will say, is holy. In fact, you remember when Moses was walking and he sees a bush burning but not being consumed. He gets up on the bush and then there's an audible voice that says, take off your shoes. What does he say? This is holy ground. What made that ground holy? He probably walked by it the day before. What made it holy was the presence of God. Because nothing unclean can be in God's presence. So shoes in ancient time were unclean. Take those shoes off. This is holy ground. Remember Isaiah 6 when the angels are flying around and saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The Bible says they had six wings. With two of them, they flew. With the other two, they covered their feet. Why? Feet were unclean. The other two, they covered their face because they could not look at the presence of God. Remember when Moses tried that? Moses said, God, show me your face. What what does God say back to him? Bro, nobody can see me and live. Puts him in the cleft of a rock and he gets to see the aftermath, not the, he cannot, you cannot look at the presence of God. Not as a sinner. Now here's the problem we have. There is a holy God that no sin can be in his presence, but you come every week and I tell you, you're a sinner. How in the world do we reconcile this? How do we reconcile the fact that there is a holy God? One day I have to stand before that God, but I'm telling you, you're a sinner every single week. What is the solution? Jesus is the solution. He's always the solution. Jesus is the solution because 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 will say, For God made him, talking about Christ, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Understand that verse, that God made Christ take your sin. And on the cross, Jesus gets what you deserved. He stands on the cross condemned in your place. But the verse goes on to say, so that we might become the righteousness of God. So on the cross, he does this crazy trade. The trade is this. He takes your sin. He's crushed. In fact, the Bible will go on to say, it pleased the father to crush the son. Christ is crushed because of your triflingness, like your sin he's crushed for. And then he takes that and then gives you his 33 years of perfection. Like you stand before God as though you live like Christ. He was on the cross as though he lived like you. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is why I don't, which is why I don't, I'm baffled at the fact that we can sit and worship and hear about the gospel and sit and be like, oh, that's okay. Like Felicia got up here. She was borderline preaching. Got to reel her in like just borderline preaching. But we sat there like, "Uh uh-uh. How can we sit there when there's a God that put on flesh, died for your sin, and then gave you his righteousness? So this is the message. And Peter wants to, he ends our time by giving a shorthand, the true grace. In fact, he shows us, listen, those that that have received the true grace, you don't receive the wrath of God. You receive the peace of God, and you should have gotten the wrath. Look how he ends the time. I love how he ends this. Verse 14, greet one another with a kiss of love. Here it is. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Like you get the peace of God because of Jesus Christ, but Christ stood on the cross and got the wrath of God that was due to you, and he didn't deserve it. But not only did he not deserve it, you don't deserve peace, but you get it in Jesus Christ.
Father, I want to pray for everybody in this room. Some of us hear this message and it's so redundant. We hear this message and we do nothing with it because we've heard it before. Or maybe we haven't heard it and we don't trust it. Lord, we've been in this room for at least an hour and a half. And the truth is we are an hour and a half closer to death than we were when we walked in. Death will come for everybody in this room. Doesn't matter how healthy we eat. Death will come for us. And so, Father, when we do die, we have to stand before our maker. And the only way we will stand before you is because of your son. We thank you for Jesus. Like we just do, Lord. Like let them not become common. Let the songs not become common. Let the sermons about the gospel not become common. Why? Because there is a false grace. There is a false gospel. But I thank you, oh God, that you've exposed us to the reality of the true gospel. Help us to run with it. Let the gospel not be something we proclaim. Let it be something that demonstrated through our life. Something that we live out and walk in. May we find rest and security in the gospel. Here's the reality, Lord. Somebody in this room doesn't know you. I'm, conv- I'm not a naive pastor to think everybody in this room has trusted you. And some of the people that don't know you are people that probably come every week. People that go to small group. But yet they have not given their life to you. Would you save them today? And the person that does know you, thank you, Lord for taking our hearts and turning them towards Jesus. We couldn't earn it. That's a false grace. We couldn't be voted in. It's a false grace. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Forgive us for thinking that Christ is one of the ways. He is the only way. Would you secure us in that today? Thank you for this book of 1 Peter. Thank you for giving us grace to be able to walk through the entire book. Father, we, like, that is huge, Lord. We thank you for the words that you have inspired a writer to write in 65 AD. Apply to us today. Your word is sufficient. It is reliable. And it points us to our Savior. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.